0: Welcome to Simply Holy Living, the podcast designed to help average humans who are being made holy through small, simple acts of letting go of our way and living the Jesus way. My name is Tracy Miner, and though I will be your host, I am much less a guide and much more of a fellow human in pursuit of holiness. Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, that place where average humans are learning to be holy. And we are in a big series called The Practices of Jesus. And it is our attempt to look not only at the words that Jesus said in his teachings, but to look at the way that he lived his life and his practices and we want to learn how to emulate those practices how to how to follow our rabbi in his lifestyle just as we try to obey his teachings we want to imitate his lifestyle so we're taking one practice at a time and last time we looked we started looking at the practice of the sabbath and what we talked about was that god had set aside that seventh day after six days of work He made that seventh day holy. And then we talked about how when Moses led the people out into the desert and God gave them his laws, he commanded us to keep that seventh day holy. And then we fast forwarded a couple more thousand years um, to when Paul was correcting the early Christians um, because a lot of the Jewish Christians were trying to impose a lot of the Jewish customs on the Gentile Christians, and so they were trying to get them to do all of these customs, and and Paul comes in and he goes, no, 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 let's go back to the heart of it. Don't worry about what day. It doesn't matter if it's Saturday or Sunday or whatever. We are going to still observe the Sabbath, but we're not going to look at it through that lens of legalism. So, That's sort of what we talked about last time. And now we're going to continue on by going to Exodus 31. We're gonna look at one scripture today and just take one more little thought about the Sabbath. And if you have the luxury of getting out your Bible right now, I highly recommend it. I know some of you are driving, it's okay. But if you can get out your Bible, this would be a great time to do it because we're going to break this scripture apart and you want to might you might want to underline and write some stuff in and you know just mark up your bible a bit and i will give you my little geeky practice that i have and that is that i use a green highlighter to highlight all of my scriptures about the sabbath in the bible and it really helps me just to organize them in my brain and when i'm flipping through my bible i can see where they are really quickly and it's just a, it's a nice tool if you want to use it But we're going to start reading in Exodus 31, verse 13. It says, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. Yes, it does say Sabbaths. It's plural. And I I think that's more than just because it's every seven days, which would create a lot of Sabbaths. But I think it's also including those feast days and those festivals that um, God um, instituted like Passover and Shavuot and the fall festivals and all of that. It says, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. Okay, so I'm going to pause right here and talk about this. He says, it'll be a sign between me and you. And I want you to just sort of personalize this right now. I want you to think about when you were little and maybe you created a club, you know, a secret club, you had members that had a secret handshake, or maybe they had a secret knock so that we would know, you know, these guys are the members and these people, they don't, you know, we're, we're close, we're tight, we're intimate, you know, and I want you to think back that you had that sign of, you know, sort of companionship and brotherhood with whoever you created that, that. Um, club with and I want you to think about how God could possibly be creating this intimate relationship with you this sign between he and you just like you have your wedding ring this wedding ring reminds me of the covenant I made with my husband all those years ago so when I see it I feel it it's a tangible reminder of my love for him And that's what the Sabbath was created for, a tangible reminder, a sign that we have a covenant with God. It's a weekly reminder every seven days that I still remember you are my creator. I am the created. I still believe that you are my future, that you were my beginning and that you are my everything in between. It's that reminder that God is everything. Okay, so as we move on, it says, you know, let's read it. It says, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And I want to remind you that whenever we see the word so, it's incredibly important. Because if the Bible says so or so that... You're getting ready to find out why you've been commanded to do something. And this is a great time to channel your inner teenager. Or no, it's actually your preteen even, who's always constantly asking, why? Why do I have to? Why, 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 right? Okay, he's giving us the why here. He's saying, I want you to observe the Sabbath. Actually, he's, he's commanding it. You must observe my Sabbath. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So think about that and, you know, just observe your knee-jerk reaction to that. Like, do you have this reaction that's like, yeah, I know, I know, I already know that. You know, sometimes we could think that and I would just suggest that perhaps we do know this in our head. We have the head knowledge of it. But think about this question. Do you often feel the weight of the world on your shoulders? Or do you often feel worn out by your own perfectionistic standards or the one more thing to do? Do you feel that? If so, perhaps it's because we do know in our heads, we have the head knowledge that it's God that's actually supposed to be doing the work. He's the one that's making us holy. He's the one that everything depends on him. But our bodies still behave as if everything depends on us perhaps our our own self-sufficiency is what's making everything happen perhaps that's how we live in our bodies even though our minds know we're supposed to be god dependent you know i have this huge pull this huge neuro pathway towards self-sufficiency you know and a, a neuro pathway is just you know the the i don't know the common word that everybody's using now because as scientists and really smart people are studying the brain they're they're writing they're trying to write all these books for all of us laymen who are just trying to figure out why do i behave a certain way you know i've been for the past few years just really into the study of the brain because, you know, trying to help kids that come from trauma and then trying to help myself overcome my own stuff. And I mean, we've been doing this for actually thousands of years. Even Paul was talking about it. He was like, why, why do I know the good I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it? You know, why what, what's up with me? What's wrong with me? Sort of, we have that question in our brain as to if we know what's right to do, why do I keep doing the wrong thing? <laughs> so I have one of those pathways. That's been developed over many, many years towards self sufficiency. I do everything on my own. I rely on myself. It's the wide road in my brain. (laughs) Just like the wide road in the Bible, you know, Jesus talks about wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to God. And that is true in my brain for sure. But, you know, the way that a neural pathway is created is just that over time, when you have a certain stimulus that you're presented with, your response is to do something okay well we see this um you know in uh a, 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 our normal response to say fear when we feel fear we can have a response of uh, fight flight um fawn or freeze okay these are just i'm sure you've heard of this these are just our natural gut level instincts whenever we're presented with a of something fearful you know some big thing that's happening And you can see how it works out in different people. You know, sometimes something happens and you just, you're frozen, like, uh, I don't know what to do. Um, Some people who've actually gone through mega trauma, you know, um, they actually know how to leave their body. Their body kind of, you know, they sort of have this out-of-body experience. They know how to escape their body and go to someplace else in their brain. And you can see this sometimes where something happens and they just... You, they're not with you anymore. You feel like that's what you have the instinct to slap the face or whatever. Um, or perhaps we have the instinct to, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, we fawn or we fight back or we um, run away. So these are sort of these knee-jerk responses we have when something happens. And so we create, after, after responding to a certain stimulus um, in a particular way over time, this, this big pathway is created. But when we want to retrain that, when we want to you know, stop having our knee-jerk responses and saying, you know, I wanna make choices about how I respond to situations. I don't wanna just continually be reacting. Then the way that you do that is that you have to retrain over time with consistency that I feel this fear, but yet I choose to respond differently. Now, there's different ways that you can stop yourself when you're in that automatic response. So for example, someone who's frozen and you can't get in there, they're just sitting there, you know, their eyes are glazed over. they give us, therapists give us these tools that we can use that just sort of bring you back into your body. So for example, they'll say, you know, hold a piece of ice in your hand and you hold it in your hand and it, it changes that your body is feeling cold and then it sort of can wake you up a bit. Or they'll tell you to stomp your feet, you know, into the ground and um, press as hard as you can because it helps you to remember, it helps ground you in the moment. Um, You can go outside to get a change of atmosphere or temperature because it'll, wake you back up. You can, you can um, turn on really happy music for 30 seconds and dance, and that, that sort of can jolt you back in. And then you can make a choice for how you're going to respond. So it's sort of this physical thing that you can do that helps you mentally. And I'm wondering, what if this is what God has intended by this seventh day? It's sort of this moment as you've been going your own way and doing your own thing and relying on yourself, it's this moment that jolts you back, wait, stop, it stops you. And perhaps over time with every seven days, when you experience this stopping and seeing things differently and, and re- help you to respond differently actually this physical thing will actually change our neural pathways over time and create this new narrow pathway because every time you do something in a new way it makes that pathway grow just a little bit. So this narrow way that you chose, now it becomes a little bit wider and a little bit wider and a little bit wider. And this wide way that goes to destruction, it becomes a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, because you're used to using this new pathway. You learn a new way. And so perhaps this is God's way of taking that head knowledge and putting it into our body so that we feel it. You know, another way of thinking about this is um, if you've heard all the really smart um, Hebrew learned people, you know, like the Bible Project people and um, uh, Marty Solomon, they're all talking about this word yada. They'll talk about how yada is this word to know. But it's knowing in a deep way, not just having it in your head, but knowing someone. You know, God wants to yada. Us. That's what it talks about when he gives us a test, when he tests us in the desert or whatever. That it's not a test like we think of it, as we're gonna, you know, fill out all the right answers and we're gonna get an A or we're gonna get an F. No, it's we're gonna go through experience with God so that He can know us deeply. Because that's when you really know someone. When you go through something really hard with someone, you really know them, right? And so maybe this practice of the Sabbath is a way that we get to Yada God, that we become so much closer in every way, in heart, in soul, in mind, all of it, our body, all of it coming together. You know, it's just a way that we can think about taking that knowledge from our head and getting it down into our bodies, that reminder every seven days. And then perhaps over time, consistency over time, we build a new neural pathway. Okay, um, let's read on from there. It says, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. And uh, in the complete Jewish Bible, I think it says that it was made for you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. And those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Okay, so I know that right here, I should take just a second. A big boss for us to take in the words that we just read, that when you don't, you know, observe the Sabbath, that you should be put to death and to think that that's that's what God said. Now, I can't understand it. Like it's too it's too crazy for me. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm removed 4000 years, I don't know if it's because I just really don't get righteous retribution. I just don't understand it all. I don't I don't know. I'm not going to claim to understand it, but one thing I have learned from the Bema podcast is whenever I read something like that that seems outlandish or crazy or doesn't make sense or seems to contradict something, then I need to lean in there and go, "Okay, what does that mean? I need to ponder it." I need to think about it. I want to wrestle with it. I don't want to just move past it like, oh, it doesn't mean that anymore. You know, I know back then they kill people, but now it doesn't mean that. Now God doesn't mean that. I don't want to assume I know what God means, first off. And I want to have at least the humility that says, okay, I don't understand this, but this is really strong language. And so one, I may not understand it all, but one thing I do know is that the way that God is thinking about the Sabbath is definitely not the way that I've been thinking about the Sabbath, <laughs> or my family, or my church, or my culture, or my times. I mean, who knows how long it's been since anybody thought about the Sabbath that way, in the Christian community, at least. And it's, it, you know, and it, it, I have to reserve that humility that goes, well, it's, it's not God that's wrong, right? So it must be the way that I'm thinking about it that needs to change. And at least take the time to go, God, show me why you could be thinking about it so strongly because that is strong language. So show me why. You know, it makes me think about when people would come and ask Jesus questions, you know, like, um, you know, that I, I remember the one of the guys that came and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? and and jesus is like well you know the torah you know how do you how do you read it and basically what he's saying is how do you interpret it you know you know what the bible says what do you think it means and i just love this thought that you know jesus doesn't even give him a straight answer he causes him to have to think about something and it, and it actually happens a lot that he answers a question with a question And so I think this just even the act of wrestling this out and thinking about it is good for us, right? To have to just consider what, what, the way that I've been thinking about this must be at least incomplete. Okay, so now let's read on. It says for six days, work is to be done. Okay, so for these six days, I'm supposed to be doing work. But the seventh day, is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. And then he says it again, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. Now, wait, let's, let's cut back up a little bit. So it says for six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a day of rest. I let, let me just help you with what it doesn't say. It doesn't say in six days, you will complete your work, right? It does not say you will complete it. Just like, you know, you think about God, he completed his work of creation. But I don't think that anybody else in the history of mankind has ever completed their work. I mean, I think he's the only one that's going to complete their work, because as far as I could tell, you work for six days, and then there's still a ton of stuff that's undone. I mean, there's still, you know, you get down to that sixth day, and you're like, oh, it's great to be the Sabbath, and oh, the kitchen's still dirty. Well, oh, and I didn't finish this. Oh, and I didn't send that email. Oh, and I didn't make sure that this thing was bought for this party, and I didn't do that. There's so many, oh my gosh, I didn't do this, I didn't get that done, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. There's always gonna be a list of things that didn't get done. But it doesn't say we're going to complete our work and i actually think that this is one of the ways that the sabbath actually does its work is that it calls on all of us perfectionists to not wait until we're done and anybody out there that has a perfectionist a kid you know that once they get started on something and they're trying to make it they have to make it perfect they cannot stop and this is us we, it seems like, oh, I can't, I just can't stop until it's done. I just can't stop. I just can't stop because we don't know when to say enough is enough. We don't know when to stop. But just like you would with that child, you would say, we are going to stop. And I promise you will get to do this tomorrow, but we must stop right now because we have to go. We're going to be late for whatever it is, unless we stop right now. And this is what I feel like God has to do to us. He has goes, okay, trust me. Now I need you to stop. You're going to stop. I promise it will all be there in 24 hours. I promise you will be able to come back to it. So it's a a way of him stopping us. So it's, we're pressing pause on whatever is undone. And I think that's good for us to press pause because it reminds us it's not the most important thing. Whatever work we were doing, it could be important, but it's not the most important thing. It's not as important as God. So it even helps me to right size my own tasks, which is good for me because I am a absolute task master. I'm a task first person. (laughs) I can forget to treat people as humans while I'm trying to get a task done. I mean, that's it's hard for me. I mean, that's my joke is that I'm like, oh, I'm a great mom. I'm a really good mom as long as I don't have to get anything done. (laughs) But once I have to get some stuff done, then, you know, that's what I could start being harsh and critical and you know impatient and unkind and rude and all that stuff that i don't want to be right because we're trying to get something done and i could go in task first and i'm trying to teach myself i've been trying to teach myself for 20 years how to go in people first task second people first well that's what the sabbath does it teaches us god first tasks second so we press pause and that's the way you gotta look at it if the kitchen's dirty it'll be dirty well so what you can clean it up in 24 hours. If you didn't make that phone call, people are gonna have to forgive you, you know? (laughs) If you didn't send that email, you're just gonna have to say, I'm just so sorry. Whatever it is, you press pause on it. And here's a little hope for you for the future. You do get better at it over time, getting, kind of getting things squared away so you don't have to worry about things and whatever. But pressing pause is a teacher in itself. It teaches us that God is more important than any of the tasks that we have going on. So it says, in six days, you'll complete your work. And then at the very, very end of this, um, I'm skipping down because it repeats a lot. It says, and on the seventh day, he rested, you know, it's talking about God, and was refreshed. And this is this idea that, that even, you know, that, that sort of scientists are catching up to that when we press pause and we rest, we are refreshed and all the smart companies around are are finally looking at this and they're saying, Hey, if our employees can get good rest, they come back better. They, they come back more productive. You know, whenever you just keep working and working and working, you actually become less productive. And so they figured out oh, if we can give them a good schedule and give them plenty of rest they'll come back refreshed and they'll be better for the company we'll make more money and we'll have even more production right well that's the same for anything you know i remember when i was preparing for recitals and these recitals are you had to memorize a lot of stuff yet we're working on these pieces and i'm telling you you were working on them hundreds of hours of working on these pieces to perform this one recital And I can remember learning back then that if I sometimes I just needed to take a break from it, I needed to put it away for a day and I would always come back better. I would come back refreshed. You know, I had instinctively learned what God had instituted thousands of years ago, that this day of rest will actually make us feel refreshed. So it's sort of that upside down thing. We come back and we're more productive. Sometimes we think, well, if I stop, I would be, you know, no, you stop, you come back more productive. So I want us to think about this thing. I want us to go back to the top where it says that if they desecrate the Sabbath, and I forgot to talk about this one word, desecrate. You know, I think, you know, when you're thinking about something that says you're, you know, you're going to be put to death, If you desecrate the Sabbath, it might be good to figure out what it means to desecrate. Um, And this might help you just to, you know, you can look up that word and do your own study on it. But in the complete Jewish Bible, it actually says it like this. It says, therefore, you are to keep my Shabbat because it is set apart for you. Everyone who treats it as ordinary must be put to death. Okay. Now that makes me think about it a little bit differently. Desecrate makes me think of like you're, I don't know, you're, you're ruining something or you're, um, you know, like vandalizing something. But what it's saying is if you treat the Sabbath day, just like it's an ordinary day, like it's any other day, that's what it means to desecrate the Sabbath. And this kind of changes it because you think, wow, it's really about just setting this day aside to do different things, to not treat it as ordinary. So it would be extraordinary, I guess. Extraordinary. So maybe you can just think, how could I not do my usual things? What are my usual things? Well, if you have to get up early every day, maybe you sleep in, right? Or if you, you know, you know, every day you kind of keep your house clean. So for one day, you're just not going to clean that day. You're not going to make your bed. That might be a big deal for you. You know, it is for all of us who are perfectionists. Um, Maybe you have a special breakfast routine that you have something new, like you eat breakfast in bed, or you make a slow breakfast with your family, and it's the day you you have pancakes or something with the kids, or maybe you meet somebody for tea out, or maybe you just do different things for your time with God. Like, I'll spend different time with God. If I'm reading a certain book or doing a certain regimen, then I'll, I'll take a break from it on Saturdays, and I'll just do, and camps just the good stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll look at that or I'll just sit out on the porch with a cup of coffee and read one of the epistles as if it's written to me, just like a letter written to me. I got that from somebody along the way. I thought it was a great idea. Um, or maybe you just take a long walk with God. Uh, maybe you go sit at the beach and, and just, you know, enjoy creation. Maybe you take a walk, um, you know, maybe you uh, do anything unhurried. You know, it, maybe for some who regulate your, your social media during the week, maybe you go on social media for, a, you know, a, a, an hour or so on Saturday. Like that's, oh, that's a big day on the Sabbath. Um, or maybe you do the good part of your work. You know what I'm talking about? Like all of us went into some profession because there's a certain part of it that we love. Um, but, but there's also parts that you don't love. Like if you went into teaching because you just love You know, you love thinking about new, you know, creating curriculums or decorating a classroom or coming up with cool things for the kids to do or whatever, whatever it is. But, you know, then there's a lot of other things to teaching. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta grade essays and you gotta read through stuff and you gotta, you know, do stuff that you don't really like. But maybe, just maybe, on that day you do the stuff that you actually really like about your job, the stuff that you don't always get to do. You know, it's just about making that, keeping that day special, making it extraordinary, not treating it as ordinary. What could you do on that day that brings life to you? That it's all the things, don't, don't, you know, it's all the things that you've just been wishing you could get to, but you don't have time to get to. Now, I want you to think about that. What would you do on a day set apart for life-giving pursuits? That's it, it's just what would you do? This is gonna be the assignment for this week, just to open your mind. And I don't want you to worry right now about not having the time and how you're gonna make the time and all that. No, just think if time wasn't an issue and, and don't think, oh, I wanna travel to Italy. No, 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 not that kind of thing. Don't overthink it, just allow yourself to think about the things that you would like to do, but just don't seem to have the time to do. I do have one warning for you. This is not a day off to-do list, okay? A day off is not the same as a Sabbath. A day off is that day when you catch up on all the things you're supposed to do. Oh, I gotta take it, I gotta go to the doctor, I gotta have a doctor's appointment, I gotta get my hair done, I gotta make sure that I've got, um, you know, I gotta go grocery shopping, and oh, I had to fix the sink, I forgot, it's clogged up, blah, blah. No, not all that stuff, all that stuff that you have to do on your day off. That's another day. We can talk about that later, but this is not a day off. Actually, I can't remember who it was, but somebody calls it, it's one of those smart guys. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but I heard them call a day off is the bastard Sabbath. It's not the same. Okay, Um, so your assignment for this particular video is to take just three minutes and write down the first five to 10 things that come to your mind. Just Jot them down real quick. Don't make this a big deal. Just write down everything that you think would be just really relaxing and fun to do if you were to set a day aside and you didn't do your ordinary things. All right, now that we've had some time to consider this incredible rhythm that God has embedded in our lives, that every seven days we would stop ourselves so that we can stop that unhealthy cycle of self-reliance and really remember that it is the Lord who makes us holy. And we stop so that he can refill us. And I want us just to take some time to meditate on a passage from the New Testament. And this is a story about Jesus as he's going from city to city, traveling with his disciples, healing people and teaching them. And he goes to stay at the home of Martha and Mary. And I want you to just sort of ignite your imagination here and just picture this scene that here's these two sisters just doing their ordinary daily stuff probably plenty of cleaning plenty of cooking maybe taking care of some kids the animals the household responsibilities you know all those things that we are taking care of on a daily basis our lives are full of things to take care of but Jesus comes to visit and I want us to put ourselves in this story and just like always I want you to listen for where God is arresting your thoughts you know what are, what is the phrase or the word that sort of sticks out to you as you hear this story again let's listen to it as Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset. About many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And I want us to think about this in a different way than maybe we normally do, and I want us to picture this visit from Jesus to be Jesus coming to visit us for the Sabbath day every seven days he wants to visit and I want us to think about this passage in that light when you get down to the end of your week and Jesus is coming for a visit what are the things that are distracting you from his presence what are all the preparations that have to be made and what are all the worries the things that you are worried and upset about Martha was. Jesus said, You are worried and upset about many things. What are those things? Why don't you tell Jesus about those things right now? What are the things that you feel are undone and you just have to finish? Jesus says you are worried and upset about many things he says but few things are needed or indeed only one Mary has chosen what is better how does it make you feel that you can choose to spend time with Jesus did you know that sitting at his feet and listening to what he said and not finishing and preparing and worrying about all these things Can you make that choice right now just to sit at his feet for one day? Does it feel that you can choose to be merry in this scenario? So let's take all of those preparation thoughts and all those things that are distracting you, all those things that you're worried about, the many things that you're upset about let's see if we can just press pause on those things. You can put a pin in it. Pin it up to the bulletin board. Make that list and pin it up to the bulletin board and just take the next few hours to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teachings because when we do it says Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her when we make this choice to stop even though we're not done to sit worship even though we have other things we could be doing the blessings we receive during that time cannot be taken away from her Jesus is coming to visit let's sit together with him father I thank you so much for this time that we've had together Thank you that you are such a kind God to give us such a gentle, wonderful rhythm of life. Thank you for allowing us to enter into your rest, and I pray that anything that has been gained today will stay in our hearts, and they will not be taken away from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. thanks so much for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with a friend, choose some stars and write what helped you as a review. And remember this, my friends, in Hebrews 10, it says that it is through Jesus that God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a process. So be patient with the process and focus up, holy peeps. Until next time.